to expats on air today we have a guy named lawrence feldman on the show he's a very interesting guest because he's written a book on mastering the chinese language now he's not a chinese guy his name's lawrence feldman and he learned chinese well we're gonna find out because i don't know exactly how good your chinese is i assume it's extremely good because you have a book called mastering mandarin (laughs) that that came out in 2020 fairly recently so, uh, Lawrence, could you introduce yourself a bit more? Yeah, sure. And uh, I got to say, I love that intro music. It's awesome. Just groove into it. <laughs> um, so my name is oh, Lawrence. Wait, well, uh, well let, me, let me just plug that for a second. Cause that's, uh, <laughs> that's made by a guy who lives in Shanghai, actually. He's an American guy. Oh, yeah? Uh, artist is named Cruel Buddhist, but he's a dude named Henry, who I knew before he started making that kind of music. So uh, good guy. Yeah, he still lives in Shanghai. And I just totally derailed your intro. But uh, you should, you should <laughs> no get worries. into that. You should get into that right now. Awesome. Okay, so my name is Lawrence Feldman. I am from America, and I've been living in China for about the last five years, like five and a half years. Um, I spent most of my time in Chengdu. It's, it's a wonderful city. And right now, I'm actually working in uh, Shandong province, uh, right next to Jinan, a uh, city in Shandong. And I've been here for a few months. While living in China, I've done you know a bunch of different things. Um, of course, like most foreigners, I've done the teaching route. Uh, I actually opened up my own training center, had that running for over a year. I've worked in uh, the crypto sphere. I've done a lot in education and just had a lot of interesting experiences here and just love being an expat. Awesome. And you have this story that that uh, I've heard a number of times. I mean, if you just w- if I want to get really general with your uh, your yeah. background, American guy or Western guy who comes over, teaches English, starts becoming a little more entrepreneurial with the English teaching, mm. creates creates your own. You know, you create your own business, and you're not in a first tier city. You're in one of like the second tier cities or, or somewhere somewhere where there's fewer or for- maybe fewer foreigners. You know, a lot more opportunities. Well, actually, uh, Chengdu has like risen up in the ranks. When I first got here uh, five years ago, it was a tier two city. And now it's actually technically a tier one city. Um, it's changed dramatically since I've been here. It's incredible. So, I mean, it's still not a Shanghai or a Beijing or a Shenzhen, but yeah, it's, it's getting there. But yeah, yeah like you well, said, the entrepreneurialism is really big um, for a lot of expats. Yeah, there's a ton of guys who did that in Shanghai and Beijing as well. Just that's a that's a great opportunity in China if you like really go after it. You know, like if you're teaching, you may, I mean, I used to teach like uh, 2008 to 2012, and the pay was really low because it was uh, it was a public university. The hours are very low, so it was very easy, relaxing, you could say. But you know, you weren't making a lot of money. But if you really wanted to, you could cre- really create something for yourself. Totally. Yeah, you could really hustle. I mean, part of being expat in China is like, it is what you make of it, right? If you want to just chill out, relax, you know, and just have beers and just, you know, or sake in your case, (laughs) and just like chill out, right? You could do that here. You could live a very relaxing lifestyle. Um, 
if you want to hustle and you want to open up businesses and you want to take your career to the next level, you can do that too. So it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of the China dream, the China expat dream. And do you think it's still that way now compared to, you know, how it was when you first went over? Yeah. So like when I came here, like I think five and a half years ago, it was kind of the ending of the last phase. At least when I talked to like the OGs who have been here for like 10, 15 years, they were saying like China was like the wild, wild west um, just a few years prior. And it was kind of ending that stage and moving to a new stage. Um, I still think it's totally um, a place where you can make it into something wonderful, um, make it whatever you want it to be. Um, it's a bit different than it used to be for sure, but the, the opportunities are really, I don't want to say endless, but the opportunities are plentiful for sure. Yeah. I, I don't want to say anything that's going to get you in trouble because you're obviously working in China. You, you have a, uh, you have a pretty big stake over there, right? You have a family member, like you, you're married. Yeah. Yeah. I'm married yeah. to a wonderful uh, Chinese lady and uh, she was born in uh, Sichuan and she lived most of her life in Xinjiang. And then she came back to uh, Sichuan, came back to uh, Chengdu actually. And I met her here. Yeah. So I have a, I have a little family and uh, it's great. Cool. And for your sake, yeah. I'm going to avoid any topics that might cause you inconveniences as, as they might say. I'm not Thank like a, <laughs> I'm not like against talking about these things at all. I like talking about these things, but the reality is you're living over there. You have, you know, a marriage. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty serious. You got to be you got to be realistic with you know what's going on. So we will we'll, yeah. we'll, we won't talk about that. But let's talk about Chengdu because Chengdu is a pretty sure. special city to me. Um, <laughs> I spent about three months there, like two three months in 2006. So I was in college. This was my finishing my second year of college and uh, going into summer and I did this program on a on a it was it was called USAC U S A C and I don't remember what that stands for but it was like a program for if you were a university student in America you could be in this program so it was American college kids from all over going to Chengdu and staying in these like nice apartment suites and then going to Xinan Minsu Dashui which is the Southwest Uni Southwest University for Nationalities is kind of a mouthful uh you're familiar <laughs> with that school um i've heard of it not too familiar with it though yeah yeah so this was 2006 and we spent the summer there and uh so i'm married to a woman who i met during that program now so uh my my girlfriend so you met her in Chengdu? yeah we met in Chengdu. so she's also oh. american she was going to school in texas i was going to school in massachusetts and we met in Chengdu. so we're married now and we live in texas now so that's my story with Chengdu. Uh, so I was there just for the nice. summer in 2006. I think the last time I went to visit was only a year after that, 2007. So I haven't been to Chengdu in so long. Uh, it's can changed you tell so me, much. <laughs> yeah, can you, what, what were the years you were there? What were the things that you saw that changed? Could, like, tell us all about that. Yeah, so when I got there, it was like 2005, I believe. So like a year before you were there. Um, it was still, you know... It was nothing like it was now. I mean, but there was so much like infrastructure. I just remember like there was constant building every single day, building new roads, building new um, rail lines. Um, it, it's like nonstop 
infrastructure week every single week. And just the economy just was moving drastically. I would say in the five years, the five years and change that I've been here, I've never seen a country move so much, advance so much as I have here compared to the previous country I was in, obviously, America, um, you know, 20 something years. I've never seen anything like it. And they did it so quickly. So I would say infrastructure and the economy, uh, huge, huge difference, huge advancement. Just in a few years. And how about the food? Because Chengdu is famous oh. for the spicy food. Obviously, they got a lot of good hot pot there. What's oh, yeah. Has anything changed food-wise since you've been there? Um, anything changed? I would say pork prices have gone up a little bit. Um, I mean, it's still ridiculously cheap. Uh, the food is amazing. I like to say when I describe Chengdu, I say spicy food, spicy women. Um, the food is incredible. It's one of my favorite parts about Chengdu uh, is the Chengdu cuisine or Sichuan cuisine. I, I wouldn't say it's changed in the last five years. I would just say maybe slightly more expensive and maybe a little bit more open to other types of food from different provinces and like Western food, you know, more expat food coming in, um, maybe a little bit more cleaner than it used to be, uh, with the food quality improving. Food prices up a little bit, but still incredibly cheap. And that's another reason I love, you know, Chengdu lifestyle is you can have great, amazing, you know, food for nothing, you know, just for a few dollars a day. And that hasn't changed. Maybe now it's a few dollars and a few cents. That's all. Just from the pork prices. Now you said yeah. the magic Chengdu word there. You said spicy women or, or something like that. Now there's a yeah. Chinese word, la meza. It's like. Mm -hmm. spicy girl something like that now what is that what is that all about what is a spicy girl spicy girl i mean just like i guess it would be like a hot girl you know that makes it like a hot you know like a hot girl Chengdu and Sichuan in general have some of the most beautiful uh chinese women and that's just like that's just not my own opinion that's not like uh you know my subjective opinion that's like a lot of chinese people will say oh Sichuan girls, Chongqing girls are some of the most beautiful women. So are you saying it's, real... <laughs> it's a scientific fact? I don't know. I mean, it's just like it's, all the, it's beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Everybody has their different uh, standard for beauty. But I mean, in a lot of Chinese people's eyes, they would say, you know, Sichuan girls are gorgeous. In my own personal opinion, I think so as well. You know, they're really like slender. Um, and like small, petite, take good care of themselves. Themselves, it's just, I think they're gorgeous. Now, Cute. spicy. Now, this word. Just going back to the, I don't know, is etymology? Maybe this isn't the right word. It doesn't matter. But back to this word, mm -hmm. spicy. In English, like if something's hot, something spicy. These are similar terms. There's a lot of crossover. Now, does a spicy girl have like a hot temper? Is there any personality trait that's connected to this uh, this word? In Chinese, this Chinese word. Now we're talking about this Chinese term, la meza, just to right. be clear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, la just like spicy, but like here it means, it just means like hot, like hot, sexy, like that. I don't think it has to do with their personality, like the word itself. Um, however, I would say Sichuan girls, they do have a certain personality. You know, they might, I don't know, 
they're really small and cute and everything, but if they get angry, you know, they can cause a scene. Um, I mean, yeah, they have their own unique personality. I don't think it has to do with the word, you know, not made to like, it's just like, you know, like a, like a sexy, like a sexy chick like that. Right. Okay. So it's pretty simple. Yeah. All right. And that, that brings us to, you know, you're talking about Mandarin here uh, and we have your book up here, Mastering Mandarin. Tell us about this book. Like, where did, what is this about for one? I mean, other than what the title um, suggests. But tell us about, like, you know, what was the inspiration for it? When did you decide to write it? Kind of the whole story. Sure, sure. So, okay. So when I came to uh, China back in uh, 2015, you know, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. I just... I don't know, ignorantly assumed that like I would kind of pick up the language by osmosis, kind of like, you know, we learn like Spanish or French in high school and we just kind of assume, you know, if we went to like Mexico or something or France, we could kind of figure it out, you know, just learn it by living there. You know, I had that same impression, like, you know, I'd be fine. I'd figure it out. And I realized how wrong I was and how helpless I was. I I felt, you know, like an infant, uh, I want to say I felt like a toddler, but not even because toddlers were, you know, they could do more than me. I mean, I'm talking, I couldn't even turn on, you know, the air conditioning and change the settings for hot or cold. Um, couldn't do the laundry without calling up, you know, someone to treat one of my training center colleagues at the time, asking them for help with the most basic of tasks. And like, to be honest, like a four-year-old could have helped me uh, make my life more easy. So more easy. So I was like an infant. And the reason why I wrote this book is because knowing no Chinese from the get-go and realizing just how difficult it was to survive in a place like Chengdu, because it's not like, you know, like a Beijing or something where there's a lot of people speaking English around you. No one's speaking English here um, unless you like work at like a training center at a, at a school, you know, you'll have like English teachers. Other than that, you're, you're not going to have people speaking English to you. I mean, unless you're at like the Ritz Carlton hotel or something, you know, there they'll speak English. Um, and I realized just how difficult it is as a foreigner with no Chinese background to come to China and try to just live, not, you know. So I started taking Chinese seriously my, I don't know, second year in China, you know, and I started picking up on these tricks and I just scoured all the forums I bought a bunch of books, you know, books for like the first, you know, survival phrases. And then I moved into pinyin and then just trying to find a bunch of hacks and stuff because I couldn't figure out. I just wanted someone to sit me down and be like, okay, Lawrence, this is what you need to do. Here's the roadmap. Here's your blueprint. Do this, this, and this, then do this, and then this. But there was none of that. They were just like, oh, if you want to learn some phrases, you can learn these. If you want to learn pinyin, you can go here. So I found it really frustrating that there was no like, you know, comprehensive manual for how to acclimate to this totally foreign language. And I wasn't picking it up my first year just by osmosis like I thought I was. I was still like in a toddler mode at best. And as I got better, my expat friends would reach out to me and be like, hey, like I heard like your Chinese is getting like really good. Do you have some tips for me? And I kept trying to help them because like, I wish someone like, would have helped me. And there, there were a few people that helped me for sure. A lot of my Chinese friends helped me tremendously by teaching me, but there weren't like, wasn't a lot of help coming from the expats. So 
the more I started to help my expat friends, I, I started to realize, you know what? I have like a lot of knowledge on this topic of how to study, like study methods, tips and tricks and whatnot um, for learning a language that's totally foreign to the language, you're, you know, your mother tongue. And I just said, you know what? I have this store of information. It's like sitting in my brain and I want to kind of just put paper to pen or just, you know, type it out rather. And finally, one night, it was like one in the morning. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to start banging out an outline. So I got up out of bed. I was like half asleep with a candle. And I just started writing for hours. Like it was cathartic to get all these strategies and stuff that I've learned and just to put it somewhere. It was a really cathartic uh, experience. And I knew that I could help so many people by getting a book out there. So. Yeah, as as somebody who studied Chinese, uh, I could say that's very interesting, you know, because there are these strategies you need to take. And I find, you know, a lot of foreigners that I would talk to who are new to China, maybe I'd been there a few years, I'd already been studying the language for many years, and they had no they had no knowledge of this country, and they couldn't speak Chinese. And they're saying, well, maybe I'll just learn how to say words I'm not going to worry about the characters. I'm not going to worry about the Chinese writing system at all. I'm just going to speak. Now, that's something I always advise them against, strongly against that. You got to learn the characters. Yes. You got to learn everything kind of 360. Yes. You know, it's it's like a omni-channel marketing campaign. You got to hit all the touch points. You know, it's it's got to you got to hit every little spot. So can you talk about yeah. that? Like, what are some of those strategies? What are some of the do's and don'ts? that are kind of maybe on the more elementary level, you know, for people who are maybe new to Chinese, you know, something that they could benefit from. Totally. Just picking back on what you were just saying, um, you need to attack it from every single angle. You, it's not good. It's not enough just to be able to speak. Um, you also have to know how to listen and you also have to know how to read and to write. It's like you have to attack it from every single aspect. Like you were just saying, and there's a lot of uh, expats living in China. You know, they've been living here, like, I'm sure you have plenty of friends like this or know people like this. They've been living here for like 10 or more years. They're still struggling to get by with their beginner Chinese. Some have gotten like a step above beginner, you know, beginner intermediate. And then they kind of get like get stuck in a place of like complacency. You know, they just feel like, oh, I don't have the time to do this. It's too difficult. I have other things to do. And if you ever bring up like Chinese language or some cultural stuff, they get like really sensitive. Like if you ever bring up something about China, the Chinese language, they get, you know, really sensitive. Um, it's a touchy subject. And a lot of expat groups are like, no Chinese, don't speak any Chinese in here, only speak English. And it's strange. And I just, uh, I just hope that there are more expats that come to China with a desire to learn the language, learn the culture. I mean, think about this way. If you're, you know, we're both American, right? And if there's a, a Chinese person that wants to come live abroad in America for a few years and they refuse to speak English, wouldn't you say like, like, what are you doing? You're in this country. You have to learn the language of the country. You have to learn English, right? Uh, so, well, I in mean, America now, we're very divided on this. One half oh. of the country might be like, learn English. The other half might be like, do whatever you want. And I'm not going to worry about the country being fragmented into, you know, right. like really balkanized or something. 
Not saying that would happen if, you know, just the study abroad student wants to just hang out with Chinese people and speak Chinese. You know, that's pretty normal, right? True, but they're not really getting the full experience. So you have like, you do have like a lot of Chinese students that are coming abroad, um, going abroad rather to America, and they just speak very broken English. They don't really have a desire for learning more than they already know. And they kind of just want to get their degree and go back. And I just think that's not the best way to go about things, in my personal opinion. Um, you know, you come to a country, you're a guest, and you should, you know, just do as the Romans do and learn their culture, learn their language. It's a sign of respect. It's curiosity. It's, I, yeah, I just think it's the right way of doing things. I mean, and if you want to get it, into yeah. more selfish terms too, I mean, what you're saying is like, show some respect, learn something, you know, these are all very high-minded things. What about the really guttural basic things? Your life's going to be better if you're living in China and you speak Chinese. If you don't speak Chinese, totally. you're living... I don't want to say anything controversial, but it's like having a disability, you know, like you're, yeah. you're really impaired from living when you're over there and you don't speak the language. So just do yourself a favor and learn Chinese if you're going to be over there. Totally. Yeah. It's not even just about like a sign of respect and all this. Like, like you said, like if you can't communicate at least at like an intermediate level in reading, um, you know, typing at least listening and speaking, you're going to have so much difficulty living here that you're going to feel like a, like a toddler and you know, you're, you're an adult and it's just really frustrating. It'll be, it'll make your experience, you know, hellish, you know, how are you going to, what happens when the water goes out? You know, like there's no water left and the electricity's you know, done. You have to call mommy for help. I mean, mommy's not going to help you. She's not here. So you have to call like who, you know, your, your boss or whatever. It's just, it's not good, you know? Yeah, and I, I think the guys I know that are really stubborn about this, who just really have no interest in learning Chinese, but, you know, there's no sight in the near future of them leaving China ever, you know? But they don't care to learn Chinese, but they just, they're pretty proud of it. They're like, yeah, whatever, man. I got people that help me. I got a, I got a few girls that help me out, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah my, girl, my, my, my girl translates for me. I don't have to worry about that. I mean, look, I would say that there are a few rare examples where I don't, I'm not going to hate on somebody for not speaking Chinese or, or being somewhat, you know, relatively fluent in it. And those people are, maybe you have like some really high level executives that had no plans to come to China and their company had them come over here against their will. It kind of like, you have to go to China for a year and then you can come back. Uh, they have literally zero time you know they're, they're putting in like you know 90 hour work weeks and stuff like that um or maybe a situation where it's like you have a family member coming over and you know maybe you're older like you're in your 60s or something like that i i, I can make a few exceptions but i would say for the vast majority of expats that do come here you got to learn the damn language. you have to learn the damn language i mean it's just like learn the culture learn the language it'll make your life so much easier in so many ways. And it's a shame that there aren't more people um, that are tr aren't trying to immerse themselves in this wonderful culture and language. You know, one of the great things about living in China is how excited Chinese natives are to teach you their language and their culture. They will literally bend over backwards and teach you for free. They're excited to, they're proud of their culture. How many Americans do you know will 
go to like a Chinese uh, a student that's studying abroad, you know, a year in college or whatever, and we'll just willingly teach them for free. It's never going to happen. It's rare. I think that might only happen to the Japanese students, and the only people going to them are like the weeb guys, you know, like okay, the, yeah. the people who are super obsessed with anime, and then they might yeah, just yeah. get creeped out. I think that might be the only case in America where that yeah. happens. But, but it's yeah, rare, China, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm just making a joke there. I mean, I'm not being serious about that. Yeah. But, but yeah, I know what you're saying for sure. Like people in China, they often they want to learn English and they want to have a friend from a foreign country because it's interesting and they don't have that opportunity often. So, you know, it's it's interesting for them to have that kind of relationship and they're happy to help, you know, but it's a two way street, yeah. too. There's there's definitely an exchange exactly. going on in these kind of relationships. Yeah. And when you come here, like, so if you come from like America and you come to China, you're kind of already given like a higher level of status. And what do some people do with that? It's like some expats will come here and be like, oh, I'm an American. So like when they go and order food, they just speak English and they're like, you don't know English. I thought this was an international city or something like that. And they just like scoff at the the waiter or waitress. And because they're like, oh, I'm an American, you know, (laughs) not to like be rude but i just think that this level this way of thinking is just so just so wrong um well that's just sounds kind of dumb because it's like you're in china man like come on (laughs) like this is this is not an english-speaking country don't expect people to speak english you know if people speak english you're lucky that's how you should that's how you should treat it you know uh and that's why it's good to know chinese now i i want to segue a little bit i maybe i did this too early but i i pulled up this thing that that i saw at least on the internet i think it was last week and it's an open letter to white expat men <laughs> that i have met while living in china have you seen this before uh honestly yes i saw you uh write this in one of the groups we're in together yes i had a look at it it's hilarious yeah so yeah you're one of those people that i've seen in wechat groups for years i think and i've never actually had a like a voice-to-voice conversation. It's it's only been text if there's been any interaction and it's been in a group setting and maybe it's not so direct. Um, but it's kind of cool to meet, you know, this happens. I meet a lot of WeChat people, as I like to call them, you know, in not even in real life, but, you know, something that's more real, something that's a little more substantial. And yeah, I did share this in a, in a few groups. And which, which one did you see it in? Uh, I think it was the American Bros. Okay, American Bros in China. Yeah. Okay. So an open letter. So, so I don't need to read this on air, although I kind of I'm very tempted to because it's it's just kind of funny. But it is a little long. But it's basically, I guess she's a Chinese American who is tired of white guys like kind of showing off that their Chinese is better than hers. I think that's the yeah the, that's the kind of uh, basic problem she has. I think there are deeper seated issues here in this article because she's very spiteful like she so point one you know your mandarin might be better than mine blah 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 blah. perhaps you're right i'm just jealous of you i still can't help but feel that there's a few points that i should clarify first my weakness in mandarin is because i'm a shitty language learner in general classic oldest trick there is no such thing as a shitty language learner everybody is born with language that's the (laughs) oldest trick in the book for people who just don't want to learn a language i think yep. or just like yep. don't want to commit or something because i i know a lot of people who say that and you know they 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 didn't have a problem with english you know right i thought i was that way too actually so like i wrote in my book how i took latin i took latin and spanish in middle school and high school 
and I'm terrible at it. You know, I got like C's in those classes and I was one of those people that was like, oh, I'm not like gifted in that area. You know, I'm not good at yeah. foreign languages. And it, I was wrong. You know, I'm, it's the kind of thing where if you put the work in, you know, you could do it. You just got to put the work in. And it yeah. might come easier to some than to others, you know, for sure. But it's all about putting in that work. Everybody yeah. is born, you know, with the ability to learn language. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I can really give you an example of that because I really wanted to learn Chinese because I really wanted to move to China after college and work. And I was really excited about doing that. So I, ha I felt like I was invested in learning Chinese. You know, it was like a life plan. So I was learning it in college. So I felt very motivated. And if I if I was just taking Spanish as a requirement, I'm not going to put the same energy into it or effort or interest, you know. So there is a big difference. Totally. There. So if you're if you're just going with your French class from high school and how you were so bad at it, you know, maybe you just weren't invested in it. And maybe you maybe for the best, maybe you shouldn't have been invested in it, you know, but, you know, this is this person is I guess they they feel very proud of their Chinese heritage. The thing is, they're Cantonese American. They say that right here. So, like, mm -hmm. I don't think anybody should be expecting a Cantonese American to speak Mandarin. That's just not the language that they speak. They speak Cantonese. Yeah. And they left China a long time ago, like most of them did, at least, you know, I mean, there's some who came over maybe in the 90s or even later, but a lot of the Cantonese in America came over decades ago, you know, if not like right. centuries, you know, but if not in the 1800s. Um, I don't know about centuries, but yeah, it came up, came out, you know, a while ago, maybe some, but yeah, Cantonese is a beautiful language. And I say language and not dialect um, because like, I, I'm learning some Cantonese uh, now myself, actually. It is a beautiful language that is. It has some similar aspects to Mandarin, but it also is quite different. And I just think it sounds really, really interesting. But uh, yeah, no, she's third generation Cantonese American. I would not expect her to know Cantonese or Mandarin um, because she's third generation. But I guess with a lot of ABCs, they might have like this identity crisis. I don't know because I'm not one of them. So I can't speak on this knowledgeably. Um, but I, I would guess maybe people kind of assume that because they look so different, um, that they must know, you know, Chinese language, Chinese culture, and it must be, it must be frustrating for some of them. So I, I could kind of see where she's coming from. Yeah, I, so I think point one is just silly. And I think it's just, um, you know, I'm not saying this, this dumb bitch or anything like that. I'm just <laughs> saying like, you know, maybe she needs to look at languages a bit differently and kind of have a different perspective of that. Second point, I think is very fair. And if there's any guy who's making fun of you for not speaking Chinese and you're a Cantonese American, well, you should make fun of him for not knowing better. You know, the, the joke's on this person and you should turn it around, maybe. But it gets interesting here. Thirdly, fuck you. Fuck you. I'm sorry. That might have been a little rude, but I don't want to hurt your feelings, so please... Let me backtrack. Yeah, okay, you just took the time to write that and an editor went over this line and yeah, it's, it's very natural. Yes, Mandarin is notoriously difficult. And yes, it's impressive that you've studied this hard. That said, students are nothing without their teachers and much of your fluency should be credited to the unsettling number of Chinese women you dated. So mm. she goes on and on about like white guys dating Chinese women and getting free language lessons. The thing is that that's true for a ton of guys. And I would, I would even suggest that you had a lot of benefit from that, having a Chinese spouse. But I didn't. I didn't have Chinese girlfriends. So I had an American girlfriend and then wife in China. So I never mm -hmm. had that benefit, but I still learned Chinese. So she, 
she, you know, this article doesn't speak to me. I mean, I think it's kind of funny. I think she she's probably mad at an individual and felt inspired to write this article. And the third point makes me think that she was attracted to this individual and she feels uh, she just feels emotional and decided to write this piece. And that's where this line, thirdly, fuck you, came from. That's my analysis. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know who the uh, author of this piece is, so I can't really speak you know, speak on that. Obviously, uh, this person is upset. And, um, you know, I want to validate their feelings and, and you know, empathize, in, you know, with this author. And I can, I can understand how it must be frustrating to have, you know, some white guy co go up like she was writing down later on in the article, having some, some white dude explain like the four tones in Mandarin to her, which she already knows. And it's kind of like insulting. I, I could see that. Um, but it seems like she might have an axe to grind with somebody in particular or a few guys. Um, but she does point out like learning Chinese is notoriously difficult and it is impressive to study to a degree to become fluent in it. That's uh, for sure. Uh, the part about, you know, dating Chinese women, I, you're not going to get like a high level of Chinese just by having like random Chinese girlfriends because they're probably going to be speaking to you in English. They're not your teachers, right? Um, they're not going to break down, you know, complex, you know, vocabulary and grammar with you. It's going to be quite simple, the conversation. Um, yeah. And I would yeah. say most of the guys I knew who had Chinese girlfriends, they didn't speak Chinese well and they relied on their girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is a lot of that, um, relying, you know, there are plenty of expats who rely on their girlfriends or even wives to be their translator. It's, uh, it's unfortunate and I hope that I can change some of that and get through to some people who are in that type of situation because it's not the way you want to spend the rest of your time here in China if you're going to be here for any serious period of time. It's not good for the relationship either. Can you imagine like having to always ask your wife like what's going on around you? Like what's this? Where am I? What did this person say? What did this say? You know, what, what, what's this menu say? Like it's, it must be really straining on their relationship. It's not good. It's not good. Yeah, because I've been the guy at the bar with my expat friend who doesn't speak Chinese and he's relied on me. So he's like asking me to be an interpreter so he can talk to a girl or something. I'm like, no, man, I'm not doing that. That's work. That's and then you're trying to have like an intimate discussion with some woman that I don't want to be a part of this, you know, like just like get me out of this. And, and you know what? This article, I'm going to I'm going to pull this away. Um, it is amusing. Kristen Moy yeah. is the writer. If, if you would like to come on the show and talk about this, we'd love to hear more from your side of the story on why you are angry about guys who speak Chinese who are white. Uh, but back to mastering the language. Mastering um, Mandarin. Yeah. So do you have any advice for like the first year of Mandarin? Like what's, yeah. what do you got to do in that first year? Are there any targets, goals, that kind of thing? Totally, totally. So basically... When you're coming to China and you're in a new environment where everyone is speaking a total foreign language to you, what you need to do is just first realize, you know, okay, this is going to be frustrating and you have to be okay with it. Just psychologically, just understand that this is going to be a real challenge and, you know, don't beat yourself up over it, enjoy it, embrace it, be humble. Secondly, you have to go into it with the mindset of you are like an infant. You are hearing a new language for the first time. 
And actually, in a lot of ways, it's more difficult than an infant uh, because when you come to China, you're coming at an older age where your language acquisition, you know, the parts of the brain involved with language acquisition is already, you know, you're already past that stage of where it becomes like ridiculously easy to absorb a new language. Um, however, you do have something that infants don't have, and that is you can control yourself better. Um, you could focus much better. Um, so you kind of have to go into it with, okay, this is my first year. I'm going to get a lot of input. I am going to surround myself with all Chinese people, uh, Chinese music, Chinese movies, TV shows. And it's okay if I don't know what the heck is going on around me. You just need input, 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 input nonstop. Don't worry about whether or not you can even speak at this point. You just want to get a ton of input. And I, I, yeah, I would say that is most important. It's just pure input. And to stay with the locals, do not you know, go spending your time with a bunch of expats because you'll get too comfortable uh, with the expat lifestyle. And then maybe you won't have that same desire to learn the language. So make Chinese friends who could speak a little bit of English uh, and just get tons of input. That'd be the first year, I would say. Okay. And let's say that's not a luxury for somebody like not living in China. Let's say you're in America or in another country and you want to learn Chinese. There's not a lot of Chinese people around you except for, you know, like uh, Zhang's Kitchen up the street, the local Chinese joint, you know. Other than that, there's like no Chinese people where this person lives. How do they yeah. tackle Chinese at an elementary level? Like, are there any tips for you know, the person who could rely more on books or other resources. Sure, sure. So yeah, that is a unique challenge. Um, learning a language when you're not living that language, right? Um, yeah, of course, there's plenty of things that you can do. You can try to, you know, we live in a wonderful time where you can just hop online and immerse yourself into any world you want. You can go to any website that you want. You can just learn so many things for free. And what I would say to that person is to try to make their life as Chinese as possible. Uh, you're going to have to take it extremely seriously, even more serious. If you want to get you know, fluent, take it much more seriously than even the expat living here, because you kind of have to make everything around you in Chinese. So when you're watching your favorite sports show, watch it in Chinese. Even if you don't know what is going on, what the announcers are saying, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you're playing video games play them in Chinese, even if you don't know what's going on. Um, you can guess, and then you'll start hearing things that you're like, oh, I heard that word before. And then maybe you can look it up, you know, and, and learn what that word means. So I would say, make your environment as Chinese as possible. Um, eat more Chinese food. Uh, obviously, American Chinese food is not like real Chinese food is all, at all, but uh, just immerse yourself into a Chinese world that might be having Chinese pictures around you, you know, on your, on your, you know, picture frames or something. It might mean going on YouTube and checking out like Chinese American channels or whatnot. Um, so I would say immersion as much as you can make your life Chinese, make it Chinese. And then I would try and learn the basics, of course, um, you know, your pinyin. And I would go on italki a wonderful app where you can uh, pay a teacher to have classes and you can get a native teacher helping you out. And 
that's phenomenal. So I would definitely take advantage of that resource. I would get on WeChat for sure, jump into the community where you can just meet a bunch of, you know, real Chinese people. And, you know, it was maybe five years ago, it was even more exciting because there was like such few foreigners in China that like, if a foreigner entered a chat room, like, oh my God, there's a foreigner here. It was so like surprising and shocking. And all of a sudden you were like, you know, this VIP, you know, and now it's not as much like that, but it's still like that a little bit. And if you go anywhere into a WeChat group or whatever, they will treat you so nicely and so openly. And so I would say take advantage of those resources. iTalki, WeChat, go to the YouTube channels where you can learn Chinese, learn your basic pinyin. Um, hey, when you go order food at a restaurant, maybe just try saying a few words to the waiter or waitress. Um, and just immerse yourself in that lifestyle as best as you can. Cool. Now, WeChat is a chat app, and there there are some challenges if you're not in China to actually get on. There's some verification challenges that some people have. But despite that, you know, if you join WeChat for the first time, you don't know any Chinese people. How do you find a group? Like, do you have any suggestions for that? If you don't know any Chinese people, uh, it might be hard to get verified. Um, I would, hmm, I would maybe say you can kind of go on to like to Reddit or something like that and ask if someone could verify you. Um, you have to search there, in like there forums. Actually, there actually is a subreddit for that. There's like a WeChat oh. verification subreddit. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good so guess there. <laughs> get yourself, get yourself on there. Maybe search the forums. I don't think you can access like Baidu in America, right? I'm not sure. Um, I know a lot of Chinese sites are, they don't work well if you're in the States. Yeah. And especially I mean, if they it's have some kind of media, you know, like videos, they, they have like, you know, blocks up for the copyright stuff. Yeah, I, I guess the best bet would be to go on Reddit and find other people that find other people that are like, like expats and uh, say, hey, you know, I want to be an expat. I'm not. Can you help verify me and, you know, get me into a group. And then once you're in like one group, you'll find other groups and it'll just cascade until like, like me, you're in literally like a thousand groups and it's just like taking up, you know, three quarters of your phone's memory. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I would go that route. Actually, if you're listening, just hit me up and I could invite you to a bunch of groups because I'm in so many. I have like, I'm not in China anymore, but I have, I kept touch with China with WeChat, you know, just because I have so many communities there that, I'm, you know, I have my foot in the door at least. WeChat is phenomenal. I mean, there's nothing really like it. It's just this wonderful multi-purpose app. I wrote a whole chapter about it in my book and just how valuable it is um, for learning the language. It is, it is a fantastic app and you could find groups for anything and you could find people, you know, all around China and uh, now even in different countries too. So get yourself on WeChat. Um, Download iTalki. Maybe your teacher can recommend someone for you. Just get yourself into it. Just get started. Just jump in. It's, it's a journey. It's fun. It's exciting. It's new. It's exotic. You know. Now, if you wrote your book 12 years ago, would you have written a chapter on QQ? I guess so. Yeah. I guess the book would be a lot different because if you think about it, like 12 years ago, if you came to China, how would you even like look things up? You would have to like carry a dictionary, like a real dictionary around with you. Um, People had paper yeah. everywhere. <laughs> that would be 
geez, that would be really tough. See, we live in a really wonderful time right now where, see, when I came here in 2005, my translation app wasn't working on my phone. Um, I bought a Chinese phone when I got here and there was no translation app at that time. I wasn't able to download one. Did you so have for like, me, a, it was, like an old Nokia phone or something? I don't know. I got like a, like a really cheap Chinese phone because I was only planning to live here for one year. So I didn't want to get an expensive phone. And I didn't have access to the, like the Apple store. It wasn't an Apple. It was just like a, you know, like a cheap Chinese phone. And at that time, there was no translation app. Um, and if there was, I couldn't find it. Um, and I had a problem with like data car. I didn't want to like bother somebody to help bring me over to get the data fixed. You know, you don't want to like inconvenience your, you know, your Chinese friends with all of your problems because you can't do anything and you're helpless. So anyways, for like the first, I don't know, six months or nine months or something, I had no translation app, but like now it's just like, if you're coming here, you can get all that stuff installed on your phone and you're already at a huge advantage. Yeah. And with WeChat, you like, you literally just press a button and it translates something, you know, like any text. you Yeah. Get. Yeah. Or, or a picture. If you just see a picture or something, you take a picture and then it translates it for you just, you know, seamlessly. But I guess Google and has on, something like that too. I mean, there's a Pleco. lot of tools that do that. Yeah. And, and say again, Pleco, Pleco is phenomenal. It's one of my favorite apps, you know, Pleco, a dictionary app. It's, okay. uh, one of the, the big, the bigger, big time apps out there for, uh, um, language for Chinese learning. It's a wonderful dictionary and it has like a OCR, I believe it's called. You could like scan things, like you could scan menu uh, items and it'll translate it for you. You can look up etymology of words, sample sentences. It is, yeah, it is the world's best Chinese dictionary. I've spent maybe like three or $400 on dictionary add-ons. Like I, I absolutely love it. Damn, three four hundred dollars oh. in freemium purchases. Mm -hmm. in it's free. Purchases. The dictionary is totally free. That is a app developer's dream, right there. <laughs> I love it. It's great. It is a fantastic app. Cool. So Pleco. What about a uh, Rosetta Stone? Because they're the ones with the big ad spend. They're they're everywhere. Is that any good? I personally can't speak to that because I have never used. Rosetta Stone before, so I can't say. Um, what I have heard was I heard it was okay for beginners. Um, it was a decent experience for them, but it wasn't like you know a panacea for language learning. And I mean, none of these apps on their own are a panacea. And uh, yeah, there's no one single app that's going to just take you there. So I don't know Rosetta Stones, you know how they are with Chinese. I'm, I'm sure it's pretty good but it's not going to push you at a very, very high level. No single app can really do that, right? On its own. Yeah. Now Chinese has a lot of special things about it that other languages might not need, like things like Chinese characters and pinyin, you know? And you mentioned when you're starting out with Chinese, you should get a lot of input. Like you should immerse yourself in people speaking Chinese. Now, what about pinyin, though? Is that something you should learn from the get-go, or should you wait till you get that input until you invest time in doing pinyin? Okay, that's a great question. So I think first, what you should just do is get a feel of the sound of the language. Just get like the ebbs and the flow, the rhythm, how it sounds. 
like like that, you know, just kind of feel it, you know, get like, okay, I understand, like, at least people identify, oh, this person's speaking Mandarin, and kind of get that feel of what Mandarin sounds like, get that feel of it. Once you do that for a little bit, maybe like a month or two, three months, something like that, then I would say, yeah, jump in with the pinyin. Um, pinyin is wonderful. You know, in English, we have all of these words that are pronounced different ways, even if they're even spelt the same way. And like English is a mess, you know, it's a bastard language. It's just, a real, it's made from all different, you know, French, German, uh, German, uh, German, Latin, Greek, all these things, you know, French all together. Pinyin is actually really wonderful, really simple. And you can master Pinyin really quickly. So I would definitely jump in on that for sure. The combinations, I think there's only like 800 or something combinations, maybe like a thousand and change if you include the fifth tone. Mm-hmm. Um, as can opposed explain, to though, English like, where it's ridiculous. What are the tones? Because there's four main tones, then you mentioned the fifth tone. Can you explain what they are? Yeah, so you have five tones in Mandarin. Uh, it was actually four unique tones and one neutral tones. And oh, actually it's only 409, sorry, 409 different sounding syllables and 1200 if you include the fifth neutral tone. So just the, the, the five tones, it's just, you know, you have the high flat tone and then you have the second tone, it's like rising, like a question like that. You have the third tone, it's kind of like a guttural sound. It's kind of like sloping down and up a little bit. And then you have the fourth tone, which is like sharply down, kind of like you're, you're scolding somebody a little bit. And the fifth tone is just like real, boom, real quick, like a quick burst. So the classic example that everyone uses, and uh, I don't know why, but I mean, I'll just use the same one. It's just ma, 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 ma. So the first one, ma. It's just a flat, high-pitched sound. Ma, it's like a question. Second tone, third tone, ma. More like guttural, you feel it in your throat. And then ma, like the angry tone, I call it. And then the fifth tone is just ma, just short burst like that. So if you can master those tones and you could say anything you want in Mandarin. It is kind of an angry tone, right? Because there's like a, a lot of the words that have negative connotations often have that tone, right? Like sometimes like to scold somebody, right? Yeah. 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 Ma, it's like to scold. Right. And, um, not, but not, I I was actually looking for the parallel myself when I was writing the book and I was like, are all fourth tone words like angry or is there like, but it's not like that. There are, there are some like that and there are some that aren't. Um, and also with fourth tone, one of the mistakes that I did make was when I learned it my like second year, I was like hitting that, like ma. Ma, like very angry because my teacher taught me that, you know, but actually <laughs> I found out later that like, you don't have to be so intense with that. As long as you have a downward inflection, you could do it in a more elegant way. Like, if that makes sense, like go away. Like, yeah. Casual, <laughs> like casual and natural yeah. kind of talk. Cause when you're learning a language, you know, you're at first you're imitating a sound, right? It's not a natural noise you're making. And then, eventually it just becomes like a thing you speak 
Like today at the park, I surprised a Chinese guy. I saw a Chinese guy, and I'm not just approaching Chinese any Chinese guy I see. I'm in a, like a quiet neighborhood park, and there's like a Chinese guy, and I never see Chinese people in this neighborhood. So he's speaking Chinese to his kids. So I started talking to him, and he's from Shandong, and that's where you're living now. So he's yeah. he's a dude from Yentai, and that's on the coast. And and Shandong is famous for Qingdao, and of course yeah. there's the obligatory. Tsing Tao beer. And since we're talking about Pinyin, this is perfect because Tsing Tao beer, the brand name, is not spelled with Pinyin. It's spelled with another way to write Chinese with English letters. So mm-hmm. Tsing Tao here, the Chinese city of Qingdao. So what, what's up with the spelling? Why isn't it Qingdao? Why is it Tsing Tao? Because, <laughs> like, okay, so there were there was uh, two types of... Uh, I guess ways of writing the the Chinese language uh, into like a phonetic phonetic word uh, that, that you could speak. Um, there was one called I think Gades was the first one, um, Gades something, and that was the way like for that was the way that they would that foreigners that would try to translate something in Chinese they would use that uh, pronunciation. So like an example I believe would be like Ni hao would be like you know, for hello, Nihal would be like K-N-E-E-H-O-W, something like that, trying to make it into like uh, something that you could like, read in like, English. Yeah, English and words, actually, literally. Yeah, and then, and then like people started to adopt uh, Pinyin, which was actually not written, was not made so that foreigners could speak Chinese. It wasn't made for foreigners at all, even though it's written in English letters, right? Uh, it was made for actual Chinese people to learn standard Mandarin as they were switching from a country where everyone was divided into speaking their, you know, their own dialect to learn the standard Mandarin. And that was why Pinyin was made, was to help Chinese people. But as long as you learn how to pronounce the way it's supposed to be pronounced and not read it as if it was English, it's incredibly intuitive and easy once you learn that um but yeah to answer your question i think this like the way they spell it t-s-i-n-g-t-a-o is probably from that like the old the old pinion style which was like the the what was it it's this wade, is the wade wade something yeah. wade's giles wade gales yeah yeah, wade's, yeah that's yeah, it i think that's pronounced yeah. correctly wade's giles or something wade, wade oh, gales oh, or something yeah wade's giles oh is it one l yeah, so yeah there you go. this is mm-hmm. this is the way like if you see Peking University like Peking, Peking yes Andrew, yeah. yeah or Hong Kong for that matter this the name Hong Kong is is Wade Giles I believe uh, so I think I think I'm not I'm not an expert on this and I could be wrong but I think Wade Giles kind of phonetically is is making the sounds of like Cantonese words I don't even think it's Mandarin because mm-hmm. Peking. Where the hell did that? Where did that come from? Beijing. Well, let's see. Yeah. Let's see the word. So the word for like um, Hong Kong would be like in in China in Mandarin, Shanggang, right? It's like yeah. the fragrant port. It's the fragrant port, but in Cantonese, it's Hongkong. Oh, so it actually, is, yeah, <laughs> Hongkong. Yeah. It sounds so. Crispy. It sounds like Hong Kong. <laughs> How right. dumb, the way you said it. It was very prissy, the way it sounded. It's like so much different from Mandarin. When I speak Cantonese, I sound hilarious. And like my, my, my Hong Kong friends, like, and my Guangdong friends, they're like, 
it's hilarious, but please stop because like I do it really funny. Um, they can understand you, me, but it's like it's funny. You sound like like a really hot Instagram girl that's from Hong Kong and is trying to sound like a baby <laughs> at the same oh. time. You might be sounding like yeah. her. There's something it has like that super like trying to be cute girl sound, and then like when a guy does it, it's like whoa, stop. Because <laughs> they have like they have nine tones in in Cantonese. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like a song when you hear someone sing, uh, speaking. It sounds like they're singing. So yeah. I try to, I'm trying to learn Cantonese. Um, my Cantonese is rather basic. Uh, you know, like I could order food and I could, you know, have a very basic conversation. But it really is a beautiful language. And um, if you listen to like some Hong Kong movies and stuff and Hong Kong music, you know, you'll just see it. it's such a beautiful language. So different than Mandarin. Do you have but a yeah. favorite Hong Kong movie? Do I have a favorite Hong Kong movie? I don't have a favorite. I do have a favorite uh, Hong Kong artist, which would be Beyond, B-E-Y-O-N-D. Oh, yeah. yeah That's yeah. my KTV go-to song for Cantonese songs. Not okay. Beyond Meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond. Now, these guys were a lot of fun. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I know a few songs yeah. for them. And I can't speak Cantonese or sing it, so I could never do those songs at KTV. But they had the Mandarin versions in KTV too, right? Yeah, the KTVs, um, they have the uh, traditional characters because a lot of the KTVs get the stuff from Taiwan where it's all traditional. Yeah. Um, I guess for licensing reasons, they just use that. So when you're at a KTV, it's like, I'll have to take out my phone to like look at what the simplified Chinese is because like I could read you know some traditional but because what i've been studying is simplified it's like it's much easier to just read the simplified chinese so like i whip out my phone and look at what the simplified chinese is when i'm looking at like some ktv songs and uh yeah i sing this song all the time um at ktvs um one of their songs yeah i try to find a comparison like for western rock music or pop music like, what's the be? What is beyond? Like, is it the what of America? You know, I I almost uh, want to say something like the Eagles. It's like not too hard, not too heavy. It's very accessible mm. for a lot of people. It's kind of light in a way, but there's it's it's really yeah. iconic too. There's a lot of really iconic songs they have. I would say the Beagle, the Eagles is a great comparison. Um, yeah, maybe a slightly hard, maybe slightly harder than the Eagles, and definitely better in my opinion, uh, more emotional. You know, one of the things I love about, you know, Chinese music, whether it's canto or mando, it's just the emotion in the music. It really could just bring tears to you, like to your eyes. It's just, it's very passionate. The words are just beautiful. It's poetry. Um, yeah. I think the Eagles is a great comparison though. Yeah. Something in It'd this a little music, harder. like, I feel like it's, it, it, there's a guy's voice that's super passionate in this like really unique sound. Like I felt connected to it when i heard it and i don't even understand it but like i felt yeah. like oh i can feel that you know that's it's, it's really good yeah chinese music is wonderful like that when i was um i would i would say like when i was like an intermediate level and i was only under, able to understand maybe like a third of what's going on or a fourth of what's going on in a song i would still feel really connected to that song and it would really speak to me even though i only understood like a quarter or a half of it and uh it's powerful, you know, Chinese music. I love it. Great way to study too, um, to get to like, to that intermediate level is to 
listen to a lot of Chinese music. I have it on one of my apps. I have a block and flow app for time management. And one of the things I use to keep my time very fixed uh, for studying is this app block and flow. And one of my sections I have is strictly for Chinese music. Um, I don't use it anymore for that because I'm above that level where Chinese music is able to teach me much. Every one, now and then I'll learn a new word, but for the most part, it's, you know, it's too easy. But when I was learning like intermediate level, it was really, really helpful. And I would transcribe the words I would hear. I'd write down my notebook. I would translate it. And it's a great resource uh, to get that over that hump of beginner to intermediate Chinese music. Yeah, I've seen that with my own eyes, too, with people who came over to China not knowing any Chinese and they take it upon themselves to learn. And they music was one of those things that that really helped them. Like I had a good friend. Uh, so when I moved to China it was in 2008, I moved to Nanchang and I'd already come to China for study abroad a few times, like in Chengdu. And, and I went to Beijing one year and then I was in Hefei one year. But anyways, 2008, I have a friend, my next door neighbor, um, he spoke no Chinese and he was really passionate about learning and he got a tutor from like uh, the nearby university and then he got me a tutor. He hooked me up because I wanted to keep improving and he would bring a notebook everywhere and he would like get Chinese lyrics printed and then he would get the pinyin written on it and then he would go to KTV and sing Chinese songs and that would help him like learn Chinese and it would also help him like impress girls and stuff, you know. It's fantastic because when you're doing that, it's really great because you are connecting like a positive feeling to your studies. Uh, you know, music, it's like a dopamine rush. You know, when you listen to a good song, you're vibing, you know, your head's bopping, you're enjoying it. You got that dopamine rush coming from it, no matter what the song is. If you're enjoying it, you got that. And so if you can combine studying with, you know, dopamine, and like I say, like, I always say this is that when I study, it's like a high for me. I really enjoy studying, uh, studying Chinese. It makes me feel really good. Um, it's like a high. And when you connect music, you know, you get that huge rush that it's like, it's paying off all that studying time is paying off with feelings and emotions and it makes it more connected to you. And it's, yeah, it's a great thing. So if, if your friend is doing that by, uh, with music and even for impressing girls like he's like oh wow the more I improve my Chinese the more girls I get well that's also you know great too anything that shows like you work hard and then you get some some kind of you know you get yeah. something out of it you know and, and the writer of that article that the the expat guy she's gonna hate that she, she's really Why gonna that? hate about the that whole comment about yeah and if if you can find that you can get more girls oh. Chinese <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's, she's going to be livid. She's going to write well, another article. I mean, there's there's something to be said, though, about, you know, sex pats. I mean, I think that's a, you know, there's a fine line between learning Chinese so that you can, you know, find, you know, a great quality, you know, wife, girlfriend or whatever, uh, have more fun. There's, there's a fine line between that and just going out, you know, like, you know, just going clubbing every single night going from girl to girl to girl to girl and girl i think there's there's a fine line like nothing wrong with having a girlfriend and impressing her with your language skills you know it feels good someone compliments you or something you get this great feeling and uh, it makes normal. you want to study more it's normal. what's that it's normal yeah it's normal yeah As they say. so I, I think there's nothing wrong with that it's just only it's only when like 
it's like anything. If you do it in excess, you know, nothing is really good in excess, right? So if, or, you're, yeah, if, you're, hopping if, around. You're, if you got to be a prick about it, you know, everybody can be a prick about something. You could be a prick about popsicles. You know, you could be a prick about anything. Anything. Yeah. yeah. It's exactly. It's like as long as you're not like excessively, you know, pouring yourself out there going, you know, going from person to person to person. Well, that's just my opinion. It's an, everybody has their own standards and whatnot, but uh, nothing oh, wrong yeah. with learning a language to find, you know, a mate. Yeah. In my opinion. All right. So beyond Canto band Cantonese, you say you haven't mastered that, but I did read in your bio I haven't, no. that you, in your bio on Amazon, and we, we don't need to read it on the air, but I'll go back to your book though, just so we, we have that pulled up. Uh, you can find a bio on Lawrence on Amazon, and it and it mentions you speak some other dialects. Can you talk about that a little bit? Okay, so um, after, so for living in like Chengdu, a lot of people in Chengdu they do not speak standard Mandarin. So actually, my Mandarin is more standard, and this is a very foreign concept if you've never been in China before. It's like it sounds weird if you've never in here. My Mandarin is more standard than like the security guards in my complex. It's, it's incredible. Like they've lived here for 40 something years. And yet when we speak, I speak more clearly. I speak with, you know, I speak better. I speak better Chinese in terms of clarity and whatnot. Um, so Chinese, it, it's, it's really strange. Um, Anyways, I digress. So what they end up speaking, though, is still Chinese. It's just not Mandarin. So I speak better Mandarin than them. They speak better Chinese because they're speaking dialect. They're speaking Sichuan dialect, which is very interesting. Um, sounds really cute when girls speak it, when guys speak it. Eh. Uh, and <laughs> that, so that's your preference, can... obviously. Obviously, your preference there. Yeah, Chinese girl. I mean, my preference is always Mandarin. I love the Mandarin language, but it doesn't have the same feel. Like, for example, like Cantonese, it has a real vibe to it. When you hear Cantonese, it's so expressive, so much emotion and like a lot of like particles for, you know, expressing, you know, excitement, doubt and like all these feelings. Mandarin is more, you know, conservative in that regard. But when you hear people speaking like Suanghua, it's just like they just go crazy. They just there's so much passion there. They love the flavor of it. They enjoy it. So I could understand a lot of it. I could speak a little bit. I'm not uh, fluent in, in the Sichuan dialect at all. I could speak enough to impress some people. And uh, that's about it. But I can understand a lot of it from living in Chengdu, where it's spoken all the time, as opposed to like right now, I'm in Shandong. Everyone here, except for like, you know, the Ais, like, except for the old people, like the old women and whatnot, the old men, everyone here is speaking Mandarin, really standard Mandarin. Whereas in Chengdu or in Sichuan in general, just day to day, you buy stuff in the, in the store or whatever, they're all speaking, you know, Chengdu dialect or, or Sichuan dialect, which is even some Sichuan dialects are actually really, you know, uh, hard to understand because there's a, there's a difference between the different, you know, sub dialects, right? So you were saying there was like guys speaking Sichuan Hua or Sichuan language and girls speaking it and you're like, hey, I just like Chinese. Are you like Mando sexual or are you like Sichuan Hua sexual? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Mando. I'm a Mando sexual, but I, I respect <laughs> I respect all all dialects. I love it. I think dialects are, fant are fantastic. So I, I'm very supportive of it as long as 
you know, if they're like a young person, they should be able to speak standard Mandarin. Um, if they're like 60, 70 years old, okay, it's fine. Like you can't speak standard Mandarin, you know, I can understand that. But I think as long as if you're a young kid, you know, learn Mandarin. It's, but also you should know your, your heritage and your, you know, your local dialect. That's part of, you know, who you are. So Yeah, they got to preserve that. So, I mean, I like to look at uh, China kind of like I look at Europe in ancient history terms, like Roman Empire. You know, it's this big empire across a continent, essentially. Not the whole continent, but a lot of it. And they have a unified language, Latin. They have centralized power, in a sense. And, you know, if you had that in 2021 and you called it Europa or something, that's like China, you know, maybe they speak a Latin based language. If you look at French and Spanish and even Romanian, you know, all the romance languages, they have a lot in common, but they're different. And I think like a lot of the Chinese dialects have that sort of dynamic as well. What do you think about that? Well, didn't they, didn't they try doing that? Wasn't there a language? Uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it wasn't there a, a despot, des that's something Esperanto that one? Desperanto, right? A Esperanto. Yeah. Esperanto. Esperanto. You, you yeah, are yeah, combining it to... with, with Despacito in Esperanto. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's where my Spanish level kind of, you know, <laughs> teeters off. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I think they tried that and it didn't work at all, but, um, so well, they didn't have that question... centralized government, you know, like you think China, mandated mandarin and you can't even use mandarin on i mean you can't even use dialects on tv right uh yeah it's i don't i don't know if, i don't want to say you can't but it's kind of like you're encouraged i think you're you're definitely encouraged to speak mandarin even in hong kong uh when they have class you know it's taught i believe it's taught in mandarin if i'm wrong i apologize um i i've heard from my friends it was like that well i bet it's like that now mandarin if it wasn't then it yeah well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely so and i know like um in a lot of places a lot of schools you know the teachers are supposed to only speak to the children in mandarin um yeah you know at my at my work right now you know my colleagues are not are not allowed to speak the local dialect here uh, at work they're supposed to only speak standard mandarin um it's good and it's bad you know, in one way, it's sad to see like, you know, certain dialects being repressed and uh, taken away because they all have their beautiful culture behind them and their nuances. It's just, it's, it's, it's sad to see a language, you know, being repressed. But on another hand, if it could increase literacy, make, you know, a country more united and together, then that's a benefit as well. Um, and speaking Mandarin is huge. If you want to get, you know, employment. I mean, if you can't speak standard Mandarin and you want to get like a high paying job, that's going to be pretty difficult as a Chinese, you know? Yeah, I think so. that's that's one of the old talking points for, you know, China as a nation is we need a unified language. We need a unified border. And, you know, you ever see that movie Hero way back in the day, like almost like 20 years ago? No. You haven't seen Hero? Oh my God! No, you gotta watch Hero. I mean, Hero's got Jet Li. Let me let me pull it up. Hold on. Let me just pull up some visuals of Hero, because yeah. the movie's visually stunning. It's a, it's a great visual experience. I would say definitely watch this movie if you have a really nice HD TV. 
Now, at the end of the movie, there's, like, a really forced segment about how, like, the emperor... This is, like, Qin Shi Huang, like, the first emperor of the, the Qin dynasty. which is like, the first real dynasty in China. Or the first, like, centralized <laughs> dynasty of oh, China. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. He was all, like, talking about how everything needs to be centralized and unified. And I guess that's kind of the, the point of today's China, too, with, with a lot of these mandates with Mandarin with uh the nine dash line but anyways i think i'm going into dangerous territory and i'm gonna i'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna steer away i'm gonna steer away from this territory i'm gonna bail you out right now let's talk about you, uh let's talk about uh fiery bathroom experiences after hot pot let's get into that because i'm sure you got <laughs> something to say about that uh i would say the food quality is improving a lot uh when i first got here you know like I mean, in, in, when you say in Chinese, like if you talk, if you talk about having diarrhea, it's like it's pretty normal. It's like saying I have a headache. It's not even like, un, it's not it's not even uncouth. It's just like normal, you know. Yeah, that's. I feel like, like you know, la duza, the, the Chinese word for diarrhea. It's one of those words yeah. that a lot of the amateur Chinese learners they learn that word. That's one of the ones they you learn, learn that real quick. You learn that word real quickly. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know the. It's improving, but it's still, you know, if you're going to go to hot pot, chances are you'll have to check out the restroom nearby and uh, learn how to be a, learn how to squat, I guess. But the food's delicious. It's worth it. So I've been to Chongqing and a lot of the popular hot pot there involves those sticks. It's that stick hot pot. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that pretty popular in Chengdu as well? I know in Chongqing, they have a, like a graded thing. It's like little like this it's like grated the, yeah, these, these the pot sticks oh yeah, like this chuan chuan. yeah like this is that like chuan chuan or something or? oh yeah it's not even hot pot it's i mean i guess in chinese it's not hot pot it's just chuan chuan yeah 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 is this pretty popular i mean we have lots of yeah i mean we have we have chuan chuan it's fantastic i'm a big fan of it that's pretty popular in chengdu for sure you could get it with like you can get it wet, you can get it dry, um, you know, with your sauces. Um, but yeah, it goes into a, a big pot, but it's not considered hot pot. It's considered its own its own entity. It okay. is slightly different. Kind of like totally how, popular for sure. Like uh, malatang is not hot pot. And, and I've talked about- Right, but it's similar, yeah, but it's not, yeah. Talked about some of these things on the show before, these dishes, they're kind of similar. I'd say they're in the same category. They're in the- boiling stuff in water category which japan's got its fair share you know we got the shabu shabu and the sukiyaki and which i'm guessing they took from china in the first place i would just guess not sure yeah, yeah. maybe not sure yeah. but the food the food's incredible um in Chengdu. and like i said before and i'll say it again because the food there's nothing like it there's nothing like china, real chinese food and in particular you know sichuan food it is just, it's just incredible. What's and like I'm a, like fortunate. What's a good home so much of it. What's a good home style dish that you, that you would recommend from Chengdu? What's, what's, what are you ordering? If like you have a friend from out of town, who's never been there before and you want to impress him. I would say maybe, uh, Hui Guo Ro. It's my favorite. Yeah. So in English it'd be like twice cooked pork. Yeah. Yeah, twice cooked pork. That's in that elementary school, the elementary Chinese language book, man. They're like, oh, yes, yeah. we had twice cooked pork. 
It's it's a good one. So I mean, it's actually I mean the the, to the literal translation is return to pot meat. But yeah, twice cooked pork is what it would be written as. Um, so it's, it's amazing. Literally that would be my twice. Do you know Do you know anything about why it's called that? Yeah, because when you're making it first, you make the you make the pork, you heat up the pork, you know, you you uh, fry it, and then you put it away, and then you add the other stuff. And there's many different kinds of hui guo rou. There's like there's like at least ten different types, if not more. And then you add the other stuff to it, and then you throw the pork back in and you refry it again so it returns to the pot for a second frying dude i'm getting hungry and this this <laughs> one is calling my name it's a really low res image but the meat quality swan thai. Looks... Maybe, maybe that's like swan thai hui guo. oh i uh, love a maybe. good swan thai now that's something you don't <laughs> see in america ever no. even at the asian market yeah. i have trouble finding this swan thai mm -hmm. garlic stems is what these are and mm -hmm. they're used in a lot of chinese cooking Here's a picture of them actually cooked. Can you explain what these are or just describe them? Uh, I mean, yeah, they're just like, they're just parts of the, the garlic, the, of garlic, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's a green they're vegetable, a that, as you can see right there. They're a part that never gets talked about in America. I feel like it's a cover-up. Like, I want to go to Reddit conspiracy right now and make a post about it, about they're trying to suppress the garlic stem in America, you know, to, to make us... There's a lot of vegetables and you know you can't find in America and if you can the the quality is nothing like what you find in you know in China like that's what I love about it uh you know the wet markets and everything you know you see it on the news oh wet market blah 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 you know bats and whatnot i mean no i mean there are concerns for sanitation for sure um but there is nothing like that in America where you can just go downstairs walk you know 20 feet and you can get the most fresh produce you'll ever have in your life. I never liked vegetables. I was never a vegetable guy. You know, I came to China and I was like, oh my God, I love vegetables. I love broccoli now. I love all these vegetables This because they're so fresh. And then the seasons they use, it's not, it's nothing like in America. And you know, America, we have like frozen vegetables and stuff like that. Yeah, we have vegetable markets for sure, but they're incredibly expensive. You can't just go downstairs and get it. Right. And uh, the vegetables think, in China, man. Oh, delicious. Yeah, I think in America, so it all used the food, to be a lot. It used to be a lot different. I think in the 1950s, things became so commercialized in terms of like food that was menu like that was centralized and, and frozen and then delivered to cities across America. And then it, it kind of changes the way people consume food, you know, and it wasn't always this way in America where like people are so disconnected from that i mean it's obviously coming back there's a lot of farmers markets that's pretty trendy in a lot of places but you don't necessarily get the breadth of ingredients that you might get in china like there's so many different types of vegetables that it's just so diverse you know everything they have over there and and the meat how about the meat the meat that you get at these markets it's you know it was killed and butchered that same day you're yeah. getting everything so fresh they have the animal's carcass right there to show you that, it, you know, how fresh it is. Um, I've never had, you know, meat this fresh, you know, at all in America, even at like really high quality restaurants, you know, really expensive restaurants, they have, you know, high quality, you know, meats, but it's not, it wasn't butchered that day. Um, so 
Yeah, it's I've I've seen a lot of guys like riding around in scooters in China with freshly butchered uh, livestock. You could say like a dead sheep or something, a, a half of a pig, you know, sliced in half, and he's driving it across town to bring it to some market or something. <laughs> you know, now I I totally feel what you're saying I'll, about the vegetables. I'll never you know? forget that my first time. Sorry, I never I'll never forget that my first time at like a Chinese supermarket, just looking in, seeing the chicken sprawled out like this, and looking at it being like, oh my God, you go to a Chinese supermarket, it's pretty hardcore uh, compared to what you're used to seeing in America. Dude, I actually have Sorry, a very you. vivid in, uh, memory. I lived in Taiwan when I was little. My dad used to work there. This is in the mid nineties. Oh, cool. In 96 or 97, I went on a field trip to a wet market in Taiwan and it was in the morning, I believe. And I was so shocked at what I saw. And I was like maybe 10, 11 years old. And there was, you know, we go in there and the te- the thing is the teachers really built it up. They're like, you're going to see things that you might find shocking. Like they really built up the feeling, you know, they got us scared. So we're already in the, in the headspace and we're children too. We don't know any better. So we're getting even more freaked out. So we go to this place and like the first thing I see is like somebody grabbing a chicken by the neck, pulling out a pocket knife like with their teeth and then slitting its throat, not chopping its head off, just slitting the throat of the chicken. And then I look over and there's like chicken guts on the ground. And then there's like intestines on this other stall. And I'm like, it's like a horror scene where I'm like the camera's panning around at like a different thing every, you know. And now though, if I see that, I'm like, well, yeah, whatever. You know, it's it's normal. Because I lived in China for 12 years and I'm so desensitized. So it's like nothing now. I've seen so many dead humans after living in China. But it's like, it's, I'm so desensitized after that. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, the things that were really, you know, shocking, uh, like when you first get here and compared to, you know, how they are, you know, a few years later, it's, it's incredible. You know, you get really desensitized to it. And uh, that in and of itself is pretty interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had something to say about wet markets. I had another thing to say about it. The wet markets, the vegetables, the meat. I totally forgot. The oh meat. yeah, the meat. Yeah. So, I don't think the meat in Chinese. Okay, there's actually a lot of great meat in Chinese cooking. Like like uh, huaygoro is really good, but it's like it's not like a meat dish. It's like a meat and vegetable dish. Because in the West, mm-hmm. if you have a meat dish, it's like really all about the meat. It's like prime rib, or it's a really juicy steak. Or it's like fried chicken or smoked chicken or ham. It's like a ton of meat and that's the main event. That's kind of like the culture of eating in the West, maybe I'd some, say. Maybe something like uh, like lamb, like Xinjiang lamb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So we'll get to that. We'll, but I think in like kind of home style standard Chinese cooking. And it's not even like one province. Like it's this is kind of like the run of the mill home style Chinese food. It's like usually a collage it's like a bit of meat but a bit of vegetables and a bit of spice and like some garlic and some ginger root and it's like it's this great symphony of things together and it's really delicious and it makes you appreciate vegetables a hell of a lot more because you've never had broccoli that good you've never had green beans that good you've never had weird vegetables you've never heard of and they're fucking and then the spices together yeah yeah Yeah. fresh the freshness and the spices yeah it's so good and they like, and often when you have that meat, it's it's the fat of the meat that helps make the vegetables taste better too. I think in a lot of cases, 
So if you're a vegetarian, you got to compromise. I'm sorry, but you're not getting the full experience. Mm. You got to get that pork fat, man. Yeah. You got to get that. Totally. Pork fat. Even the chickens are so different. The, like the chickens, the color of the chickens, um, mm-hmm. compared to like American chickens, like the size of the, of the animal of the chickens compared to the American chickens. Um, it's, oh, oh yeah, the black, I'm not even talking about the black chicken. I'm talking about like just even the normal chickens. I, I, the black chicken is delicious too. But um, I think in, in America, a lot of the chickens are diseased. I remember reading something about them, about the, some, there's like a lot of diseased chickens in America. Uh, maybe flu. something with like cancer or something like that. Pro- it sounds about uh, right. It, they, it just, they, they live in hell, these chickens. Yeah. <laughs> these factory farms. Yeah. Something's bad. But in China, it's, it, it tastes so juicy and succulent and not dry at all. I remember I was in a village one time visiting my, my father-in-law's uh, brother or something. And then they had a chicken and they just took the chicken by the neck, slit its throat, and then it stopped making noise. And then the blood spurted out everywhere. And I, I had no idea what was going on. You know, I just went outside to make a phone call and I see this going on. And I'm like, that's, uh, but you know, it's how it's done. And uh, the chicken was very, very delicious. Yeah, I would agree with you when it comes to like school cafeteria kitchen. There's a lot of bad chicken in America. I will not doubt. And yeah. maybe a lot of just run-of-the-mill restaurants like Applebee's or something. They probably give you a lot of really bad chicken. Now, I live in Texas, barbecue country. They do chicken mm. really well here. So I tell you what, man. Meat in America is so much better than in China. Overall, I'd say. But vegetables in China dominate. You know, I think there's, if, if you're like a connoisseur of one or the other, you know, I'm a person who likes both. If I like Maybe vegetables. Maybe in Texas. Maybe yeah, Texas yeah. meat is better. But I wouldn't say like the stuff you're getting on the coast is going to be better. The meat in China is way better than the stuff that I'm getting, you yeah. know, like in like New York, uh, New Jersey area. Fair Maybe enough. in Texas it's different though. In yeah. like Delaware. I bet, I bet Delaware... I bet you could find some good check in there because it's kind of rural, but like, I bet there's a lot of like shitty suburban sprawl chicken and say, and then just all up into New Jersey and even into like New it's Hampshire. It's frozen. There's, yeah. there's probably it's frozen like at the supermarket. a wasteland of disgusting chicken that exists in that region of America. Just the whole yeah. I-95. No, no frozen all food All of here. I-95 no. is just shitty chicken, I bet. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm getting drunk now, as you can probably tell. Um, now, dude, I think we're totally on the same page with the food in China. Is there a dish that like huegel roe is the dish that you'd recommend? Is there a dish that's a little more uh, I don't know advanced that you recommend? Mm-hmm. Like, what's like the what's the more advanced level Chinese dish that you're going to introduce? Somebody who's a more of a risk I mean, taker. Somebody who's a little more, more risk taker. So maybe like rabbit. Rabbit, um, yeah, brain? rabbit uh, brain. No, not rabbit brain. Uh, although you could say like pig brain. Pig, uh, brain. pig brain, pig brain, maybe. Pig brain, because I search rabbit brain China, because that's like a real thing. That's like a pretty popular dish. I'd say it's like go to a place, eat a eat a fucking rabbit's head, and suck its brain out. That's normal. Yeah, I've had, yeah, I've had brain. rabbit. You know. Um, oh, here we go brain pig brain now that's the quintessential spicy pig brain and that right there if you are new to this kind of food that probably looks horrifying 
I tell you what, that is delicious right there. That bowl, that yeah. is deliciousness. I, I, I couldn't eat it every day, um, but it's an it's you know it's an exotic taste. It's kind of like caviar. It's delicious, but you're not going to want to eat it every single day. And it's weird. It's fish eggs. You're eating fish eggs. It, you know, even normal eggs. You're still eating eggs, right? So it's kind of like you know what's in a hot dog. You know, when you eat hot dogs in America, they're mm, they're just you know the pigs you know the the rear end of the pig and all these it's a, yeah it's a lot parts. more than the brain and it's a lot more disturbing if you really think exactly about it, right yeah yeah so i would say brain pig brain and like rabbit i think rabbit i love rabbits so i'm like it's like a i guess it's like a maldwin uh maldwin. like i forget the word in english conflict oh, what conflict. conflict yeah 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 there's like a conflict yeah. going on in my head about eating rabbit because there's it's like in oh, Chengdu, they have some delicious, you know, rabbit dishes. Um, yeah, but they're cute. I can just see some, like, hardcore New Jersey, New York guy being like, I'm not eating this goddamn pig brain. Stop trying to make me eat this disgusting food. I'm going to go down the street and get me a dog. I'm going to get me a dog. Yeah, if they, if they eat the hot dog, they're, eat, they're already eating brains that, that fell on the floor that was, you know, sweeped up with, you know, some dirty, you know, broom. And then there's like intestines thrown in there, and well, I mean sausage is intestines, right? You got a lot of weird stuff yeah. in hot dogs, so I well, wouldn't yeah, be so quick is... to be like, "Oh, hey, it's presentable, all right?" They package it in a package that I recognize, like a goddamn sausage. I don't care if it's a pig's ass; it looks like yeah, a sausage. It, it, I'll eat it. That. But no, no, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's the mentality because a lot of people are like. I don't want to eat the fish when I can see its head. I don't want to eat the bird when I can see its head. When it looks like an animal, they don't want to eat it. I find like a lot of people have that tendency. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's a weird disconnect because on one hand, like I bet most people who eat meat, which is the majority of, you know, America would not want to go out and kill the animal and butcher it and clean the blood off and do all these things. But they have no qualms about eating, you know, the same animals that they wouldn't kill themselves. Um, it's a weird situation. And I think maybe in a hundred years or less, like you said, but show before beyond meat or for the, you know, beyond the artist, I think um, things will turn to plant-based and uh, you know, vegan vegetarian uh, in American within the next hundred years. Cause there's a real disconnect going on um, in that, in that regard. That's a whole other topic yeah. though. And that, yeah. that's something I really like about China is, is like there's less of a barrier between the farmer and the consumer, you know? Yes. And you can find that in America if you want to. There's plenty of farmer's markets, but it's not so common like in China. Like it's like a 7-Eleven in China. It's everywhere, mm -hmm. you know? And actually an interesting point about the Chinese language, they call the same way they call like food, rou, right? For, for meat, the meat is like the rou, right? They also refer to their own body parts as rou, you know, ji rou, muscles, right? Like they say like, oh, that's my meat to refer to their own body. So it's just, uh, it's just interesting yeah. to have something be like, oh, your, your meat is very, you know, strong or something like that, you know? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of funny, like direct translations that happen, but that's an interesting, I mean, there's so many little details like that that people don't consider. Yeah in terms of people's psychology, in terms of the words they choose to, to, to speak. And language will you know? change how you think about something, right? Yeah, definitely. It's oh, so interesting. It's, it's huge. It's so and huge. It, um, yeah, language and culture really do go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And uh, 
really important to learn the, the culture and not just, I think to tie it back to language, because we, we went on a big tangent with food, um, is when you're learning Chinese or, if, or any language, any language for that reason, for that matter, you want to understand not just how to translate something like, be like, hey, Lawrence, how do I say this in Chinese? Okay, you could do that at first and that's fine. Um, I'll give you an example. It's like a real simple example. It's like, how do you, hey, how do you say, how are you in Chinese? Well, ni hao ma. But if you say that in Chinese to a Chinese person, you're like, ni hao ma. It, they're going to look at you like, uh, oh, I'm like, I'm okay. Like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, what's wrong with this guy? Because in Chinese, you would not say this as a greeting to say help, to like show like you want to greet them and show concern. So, you, you know, you might ask him, you know, did you eat yet? Something like that. Um, so when you're learning a language, I think this is really crucial is to not just learn. Okay. At first you can just learn how to directly translate things, but then once you get better, you need to quickly learn, okay, how would a Chinese person express this type of, you know, statement? How would they, you know, say this in a, in a native way, which yeah. sometimes is the same as English, but a lot of times is not. Yeah. You so. learn the nuance and there's like a cultural nuance. There's a, a lingual nuance. There's, there's a lot of nuance when you're learning something and like, how do I act like a Chinese person and how do I yes. practice acting like a Chinese person and how do I just naturally behave like a Chinese person eventually, you know, when I want to, Yeah. not necessarily, so you're, actually, not, a, you're not trying to be trans Chinese. You're not trying to be trans Chinese, but you're trying to <laughs> interact with them on a natural level where they're they're gonna be like okay I can I can level with this person because at the same time you want this Chinese person to reciprocate you know you you want to level with somebody and if you can speak their language more you know beyond the dictionary translation level you can really go places you know it could speak to their heart you know you speak in a man in their in their mother tongue you know and you're speaking to their heart and it really is uh, so true. Um, Gosh, talking about like changing your identity. When I speak Chinese, uh, I change into a different person. Like my Chinese name, Li Xiatian, that's my Chinese name, right? When I speak as Li Xiatian, I speak in a different way. I have a different personality than when I just speak as Lawrence Feldman. It's kind of like having a split personality of multiple personality disorder or something, but in a really, really good way. Uh, you kind of need to do that. And I found that a lot of my Chinese friends who have amazing English, the few that are in this category, they change their personality in a huge way when they switch languages. And it's just so funny to observe, but I do the same exact thing. Um, it's really incredible. You have to change your personality if you really want to go full into a language. Change your mannerisms in Chinese. You can't be moving your hands around like this because no Because I'm Chinese Italian and I'm Chinese. If, if you're speaking Italian, then, then, then you should, right? So. It goes with your body gestures, how you carry yourself and everything. So you have to be like, okay, am I the Shatian or am I Lawrence Feldman right now? No. It leads to some really interesting uh, situations. Yeah. I feel kind of bad. I feel like I was just saying, oh, when you speak Cantonese, you sound like a Instagram, hot Instagram Hong Kong girl who's trying <laughs> to sound like a baby, but trying to sound sexy at the same time. So, I mean, obviously you don't sound like that, but I'm just, I was making kind of a joke. But I think you I, should own yeah. that joke, and I think you should make a persona. Like, you should be like Xiao Ping Ping or something. You should have, like, a little cute name for your Cantonese persona when you speak Cantonese, you know? Yeah, when I speak Cantonese, I try to be more outgoing 
um, you know, more exaggerated. Uh, when I speak Mandarin, I try to speak more proper Mandarin, hmm. more modest, perhaps. Yeah, and, and one one thing you mentioned about like people saying your Chinese is really standard. You know, you've mentioned that, and I think we can dig into that a little more because when Chinese people have told me that my Chinese is better than theirs, which you know I didn't agree with them. I mean, like, what are you talking about? Right. You obviously know it's a, co- a lot it's a compl- more. It's a compliment. Yeah, it's a compliment, but it's also like you obviously know a lot more words than I do. Your vocabulary is a lot richer than me. Uh, you're more natural at speaking the language, but I maybe I did speak more standard. Like my pronunciation was more standard. It was more like Mandarin Chinese. It depends who it is. If it's Yaochuan. like compared, if it's compared to like a Baoan, then I'm sure it is. If it's compared to like it was, a college it was a, educated, it was a Baoan. You know, university. <laughs> yeah. Then, then I'm I'm sure it is. I'm sure your your Mandarin is more more standard. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so this is like a local neighborhood security guard or like a local mm-hmm. neighborhood granny. You know, a lot of the older generation in China, their pronunciation is more local. It's not the standard Mandarin, which is like the standard template language, which is like if you made Europeans speak Latin to each other, that's that's the equivalent. If if that were no, the standard every dialect Europe, is different. Well, every dialect's different, right? Mm-hmm. Some dialects are mutually unintelligible, and others you can understand. It depends on what, what the dialect is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Some dialects, like, if you take, for example, like, you know, like, Shanghai Hua, it's like, no one's going to understand that in Sichuan, like, unless they've oh, lived in, so in Shanghai. But, Shanghai Nese yeah, but is it's, so different from Mandarin. Yeah. So different. And then, but, if, but if you're speaking, like, I don't know, like, uh, Hunan Hua or something, you could understand that perfectly fine if you were living, if you're a Sichuan, you know, speak. Uh, Mandarin speaker. Yeah, um, yeah. Just so that's like Portugal and Spain next to each other, as opposed to yeah. like Germany and France or something with like. Shanghai and then you have Cantonese, and it's just totally, you know, uh, my, my I understand much more Cantonese than my wife can understand, and my Cantonese is still very, very basic. She can't understand at all what's going on because it just it's a totally different language. So yeah, it depends so what the cool. language or dialect is. China is just, I mean, we, we both lived there for so many years, so we, we're in it, but it's like such an interesting place. And I've left, it's like, you know, that's like a former part of my life, but I'm still trying to stay connected. I'm actually doing a little bit of work that's still connected to China a bit, so I'm able to kind of keep it going, and I don't want to lose it. And talking to that Chinese guy today, and looking at my son and being like, crap, my son is not taking Chinese class. He needs to learn Chinese. Hey, I'm talking to Lawrence tonight. You're a master of learning Chinese. No, Do no, you have no. any recommendations for children? Uh, any language? But I think for children, it's fantastic um, because they, you know, the, the younger you are, the easier it is to uh, acquire a language, a second language or whatnot. It's much easier as a child. Um, so... Your so if your child immerses himself, um, it's a boy, right? Um, yeah, and, but the thing is, if he immerses himself, a lot of the points you brought up before, like find something you're passionate about. Thing is, he does he's he does school. He does remote school too, so he's on yeah. the iPad doing school Zoom calls. So when he's done learning, he's done learning. He wants to play Minecraft. Mm-hmm. He wants to play at the park. 
how is he? Okay. How am I going to get him interested in Chinese if it's going to be an extracurricular right. activity? By associating something really, having him associate Chinese with something good. So, like one of the things that I was doing was when I was writing my book, I would give myself a piece of lint chocolate, like this really delicious dark chocolate from lint, whenever I like banged out a chapter, and so it was like my reward um, for doing that. Um, you could kind of do something similar like that, like say, okay, I understand you don't want to, you know, sit down and do like formal learning when you're done, when you're done with school. And maybe like you could have like a Chinese tutor where it's just like a small period of time to teach him like formally, but then you could say, okay, now, um, you could play Minecraft right now, but you have to play it in Chinese or you can go, you know, I don't know uh watch this tv show but you have to watch it in chinese your favorite cartoon or something like that You're, so mm, there's plenty of things that you can do where they can associate oh i love playing games well i have to play it in chinese but at least i get to play the game and have fun and then you start picking stuff up you still have to incorporate some formal you know teaching and tutoring for the yeah. language but it doesn't have to be like you know hours and hours and hours of chinese every day you know formally yeah. It could just maybe be like, you know, like a few hours a week, but then also when you have fun, make that fun incorporated into Chinese fun. And that's brilliant. I mean, and that essentially mirrors what you said before, find something you're interested in, connect that to Chinese, you know, and that's great. So my son, he likes Minecraft. I'll try to figure out a Chinese way to do Minecraft. The thing about Minecraft, it's kind of like super language. It's like beyond language. It doesn't require language. It's like just... Mm feeling things have doing him, things building have, things he can play but, multi multiplayer right yeah he can but like he's he's have him play with the, with the chinese he's people. six he's learning to read english uh, you know so like i gotta i gotta yeah. do one step at a time but i have an idea he loves dumplings he still loves his chinese food when it comes to that simple goodness like a dumpling or a baozi like a steam bun so he loves those things so i'm thinking after talking to you I'm going to only let him eat dumplings if he learns Chinese. So if he does like his little Chinese thing, he earns his there dumplings. And I'm going to eat dumplings in front okay. of him if he doesn't comply. And I'm going to be like, oh, this is delicious. I mean, if you want some of this dumpling action, you're going to have to do your half hour of Chinese, my man. Yeah. And then when he's eating the dumplings, just talk with him in Chinese. I mean, when I have kids, I'm going to have a situation where my wife only speaks you know, Chinese as a child. And I only speak English. Now your situation is different because you know your wife is not Chinese, um, but you can speak Chinese, right? So you can say when it's dumplings time, you have to speak to you have to speak to me in Chinese, or you're not getting it. And if you even want to sit down at the dumplings table, you have to take that half an hour class or whatever, something yeah, like that. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm doing this, and dude, you should write a book on it. This is the dump. Like you get kids hooked on dumplings. This is the plan. You start them at two years old. You get them hooked on dumplings. Ah. You get them addicted to these things. And then I just had dumplings for lunch, actually. It was pretty good. Five years old, you cut them off. And they're like, Dad, Mom, Dad, where are the dumplings? And be like, Oh, son, daughter, I'm afraid you're going to have to learn Chinese now if you want more dumplings. You know, this could be a lifestyle. Dumpling diplomacy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, man. This is good. You know, get. Yep. In, I'm sure you can find Chinese-speaking friends or whatever. Just get them into that culture, and uh, not just make it like you know boring, tedious work. Something where he actually there has to be an aspect of boring, tedious work for anything. If you want to get good at it, it can't all be all fun and games. But but you should be able to do both. 
you can have both. Um, and you should have both. You should have passive and active learning, you know, just some Chinese in the background, maybe when he's doing something, just hearing it, getting that input is really, really crucial. And uh, yeah. And you know, yeah. with me, I'm a special case. I actually, my Chinese is pretty good. So I could coach my son. I could be there to troubleshoot, you know, but the, mm -hmm. the average American or the average non-Chinese speaker obviously doesn't speak More Chinese. Difficult. If they want their kid to speak yeah. Chinese, maybe they put them in some kind of program or a class. Now I met a guy in my neighborhood at the park. His daughter goes to the park and, and was playing with my son. And I heard her speak in Chinese and this is a little white girl. And this is just, this is a white guy. You know, he's even like uh, in a blue collar industry too. And he just wanted mm. his daughter to speak Chinese. And I, we started talking and we started talking like, maybe we'll start like a pod. Maybe we'll get like an instructor and we'll have a few kids, including our kids to, to learn Chinese. And I think that that's a good way for if you don't speak Chinese or in any foreign language that matter, and you want your kid to speak it and you're worried about COVID or whatever, you know, find somebody to to teach the language to like your child, but have a few other children there. Cause for me, one thing that really made me excel was not wanting to be the slowest person in the class. Cause I took mm. Chinese mostly in college. I was embarrassed if I was the slowest person in the class. So, uh, you know, if you have competition there with the language, I think that that can only help. What do you think about that? The competition aspect at least. Totally. Uh, I've only, I've only had a Chinese class with a group, like a group class. I've only had that for like maybe like a few months. So like maybe, you know, I don't know, just like three months total or something like four months total like that. And I always wanted to be like that Shepa, you know, I just wanted to be that rock star. The one that's always was like uh, at the top of the class and it, having that rivalry, you know, the competitive nature, you know, that's just making you want to strive and be the best. Um, so totally, I think that's great, especially for children, because like, and when you're an adult, it's like, it's best to probably take, you know, especially when you're going higher and higher in levels to take one-on-one -on -one classes. When you're first starting out, you don't need those. You can do group classes. It's not, no problem. But for children, I think, especially children starting out, you're going to want to have those group interactions, um, where they associate learning Chinese with, Hey, I get to see my friend Jack and Jill at the class. And I really like them. And we have a good time with Mrs. You know, Mrs. Wang. She's really interesting. And they put together the, those feelings of having a good time and enjoying themselves and associate that with learning Chinese. So it's very important to have a great teacher. And, you know, and if you could have classmates where you have like this little rivalry going, I mean, if you keep it fun and, you know, then I think it's a good thing. You know, you're, I also you're, you're competing had, against uh, yourself. I also had teacher, mm -hmm. teacher Wang. Wang Lao Tzu. Yeah. I, I had a Wang Lao Tzu for sure. When I went, so I went to Hampshire College. Do you know, have you aware of this school? So it's Hamster. a very, very, very liberal arts college in the Northeast in Amherst, Massachusetts. Doesn't have grades. No GPA. Oh. No grades. Just written assessments. But. Wow. They had a connection with the Anhui Nongye Dashui, which is the Anhui Agricultural University. And I, my teacher came over from that school, from Anhui, Wang Laoshe, and she was so legit. And 8 a.m., five days a week, we had Chinese class. 
and she was so traditional, so standard Mandarin, and so just like no bullshit. Like I was able to learn Chinese just because this teacher. Like I had some great teachers in college, and I felt bad when I met people who came to China and they learned Chinese so fast without what I had. Like you, for example, and like my friend Nick, my my buddy who who writes the KTV words, like he learned Chinese so fast, and he didn't have like the the structure that I had, you know. I feel like I was so lucky yeah. that I was able to do this at college. I was able to spend my time focusing on Chinese in college, and not, uh, you know, I'm not paying for it right now. I'm not I'm not in debt from college, so I'm. Yeah, it's great. I wish I studied Chinese in college. I I really wish I did. Um, it would have made it much easier, um, but I also think that self-studying is like really—it's it's like its own—it's like its own personal challenge. It's like climbing Mount Everest by yourself without a shepherd. You, you know, it's—it's it's a really great challenge to do to study by yourself or mostly by yourself. And uh, you put in the work, you get results. You know, if you're a halfway intelligent person. You work really hard at something, you're going to get results. Um, whether you have a teacher or not, just how bad do you want it? Do you yeah. want it like, eh, it'd be cool if I could go to a restaurant and be like, oh, I just want to learn Chinese so I could order dumplings at the restaurant. Well, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do well. You're not going to, Dude, you're not going to make it to a high I level. I have mastered you, the menu. The menu is like that's ancient history for me. The menu is so, it's like intuitive at this point. But I do need it's to keep my Chinese up, and I and I spoke with a guy today, and I, I realized I my Chinese hasn't gone away. Thank God. Sometimes when I'm driving my car by myself, I'll have imaginary Chinese conversations just to keep it going. It's know? great. Keep, Talk keep to those... yourself in Chinese. Yeah, like it's like think, pathways think, in the brain. Think in Chinese. Yeah, yeah pathways you in the do brain. That. You got to keep them firing. You got to keep them firing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like uh, I like to do that too. Is like if I. Sometimes I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to start thinking in Chinese about this situation. Not only does it help me with language, but it actually helps me make more logical and more rational decisions. And there's science behind that. Um, I've read a research that if you think about something in your second language, you will make a less impulsive uh, decision, more rational decision. And you should think in a second language. It's a wonderful thing. And now that uh, totally is a great insight right there, because let's say you have a big decision to make in your life. Think about it, recap it in your head, then recap it in a foreign language and then think mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, that's that's great. Think about think about all the inner talk that you do, you know, like you just think to yourself like, oh, I'm hungry or like, you know you know, my stomach hurts or I want to take a, you want to take a nap or something like that. Or you're just thinking about really simple things. Why not? Even if your level is really low, you could still do these things in, in Chinese. And then as your level gets higher and higher, you could have more advanced thoughts like, oh, you know, I kind of don't want to go to work right now. But if I call sick, then the boss is going to say this. You could have like more concept, more higher level self-talk in a second language and it will improve um, your language ability tremendously. So Have I'm a big ever... believer in, in self. Okay, this may seem kind of random. Have you ever had somebody kind of try to one-up you for not thinking in words? Like, I think in words a lot. I, like, talk in my head to work things out. Like, I'll, that's something I'll do, and I'm not ashamed of it. But I've had people be like, well, I don't do that. I just, like, 
the thoughts just kind of process and the words come later, you know, it just kind of like, you know, it just kind of happens. And then when the words happen, it's when they're coming out of my mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Um, you mean like preparing what you're going to say versus impromptu? Not even that. It's like some people have told me that they pride themselves and that they just have thoughts that don't have words, which I know what they're talking about. I have thoughts that don't have words, but they're saying like, I don't have internal monologue. And they're just like, they're just, no, I've never heard of anyone saying they don't have an internal monologue. I think internal monologue is so crucial uh, for everybody, even way beyond just language learning. Um, It doesn't get talked about enough. And it's something that is really important. I think just for being a person is having good internal dialogue. Um, I've never heard anyone who doesn't have it, but I, again, I don't hear this subject being brought up a lot. Um, people kind of keep it to themselves, their internal dialogues. Well, yeah. It's, it's uh, not really it's something you bring up in conversation. It's like, Hey man, what's, what's been yeah. going on with with your internal monologue. That's not like a conversation starter. That's normal. Uh, there's there's a great YouTuber. There's a great, uh, YouTuber, uh, who was it? Not YouTuber. I'm sorry. It was a great author. He wrote the uh, five hour work week. Um, okay. can't think of his name. I like how you're like, you know, not YouTuber, writer. <laughs> writer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, anyway, so author of the five-hour work week, he always asks, like, do you, what kind of self-talk do you, in his interviews, he's like, what kind of self-talk do you do when you have, like, such and such situation happening? And uh, it's a really good interview question um, to see how someone analyzes something in their head, the processes that they use uh, to think about something. Yeah. So I think self-talk is huge. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, for language learning, it's, it's crucial. Like you need to be able yeah. to f- think in foreign words. And when I was learning Chinese really hardcore, so I told you I met my now wife in Chengdu. A year before that, I was in Hefei. A year after that, I was in Beijing at Beida. I like to tell people I went to Beida. I went to Peking University. It's, it's like the Harvard of China. I mean, I did like a study yeah. abroad for six months there. It's not, I didn't go, I didn't go to Peking University, but I did a program there. But like, that always impresses people, especially in China. They're like, whoa, sure. Peking University. Wow. Good yeah. for you. But I used school. to dream. I used to have normal dreams, panicky dreams, nightmares in Chinese. Because that program was so intense in Beijing that it was making my dreams be in Chinese. I don't have Chinese dreams anymore. I feel like I'm very natural mm-hmm. when I speak Chinese. I can just do it if I need to. But I don't dream in Chinese. You know, I haven't done that since I was a student. Really? I, I dream in Chinese all the time. My wife will say, like, she'll say, like, you were talking in your sleep. And I'll be like, what was I saying? And most of the time, it's me speaking Chinese. Uh, you know, I don't. When you're dreaming, you don't have like these really full, these like complex, you know, sentences coming out of your mouth when you're sleep talking, of course. But uh, yeah, I still, I still dream in in Chinese without even realizing it. Well, it's pretty. You are definitely a level or more, probably several levels above me when it comes to Chinese. I mean, you wrote a goddamn book about it, uh, and you speak Chinese. It, it's not a, and You're married it, it's to not a, a comparison. Person. No, no, no. I'm just saying. I, I, I'm just saying the facts. Yeah. These are the facts. Yeah. These are the facts. In, I, in Chinese culture, I, in Chinese culture, I have to keep neglecting any compliment. I can't uh, accept it and like, just have to keep throwing it back. Well, you know, what saying, we no, do. no, no, right? You know, what we got to do when we end the end the the show. 
for the Zoom call. We got to go like, ah, 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 You know, like when Chinese guys are ending a phone call and they're like saying their last words and the guy's responding like, ah, 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 Oh, yeah. It would be like, it would kind of be like, uh, 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 that is flawless right there so we have to do that before we end the show and dude it's almost two hours we probably should end the show um do you have anything that i mean beyond the book do you have anything you want to say or plug or promote or is there anything you want to talk about I mean, you know, I have like uh, a channel on uh, Douyin, which is the Chinese TikTok. It's called Langmon, L-A-N-G-M-O-N-D-E. You can only access that if you are in mainland China. Um, so yeah, I would like to promote that. I use that for language learning to, L-A, it's one word, L-A-N-G-M-O-N-D-E, one word. Um, e, forgot E. Oh. oh, yeah, that's Chris. Nice. That's one of our... I didn't even know we we're on Google. Cool. Yeah, that's. I didn't know we were on Google. I'm surprised. That yeah, I just showing did up. Google him and search Lang. That's Mond. it. Yeah, Lang Mond. So Mond. it's um for oh, Douyin. Oh, there we go. Um, I didn't know it was on Google. Awesome. So it's for helping Chinese people learn English. I'm trying oh. to help everyone learn language. And why? Yeah, that's Dan. He's one of our superstars. He's he got really famous uh, on on Douyin. Um, and really proud of him. And been, also, I wanted to say, also, um, he's been on the show. A, a, a gr- yeah, I, I watched yeah. that. It was a great, great episode. A great giant has uh, passed away, unfortunately. A great polyglot, uh, Lao Shu. Are you familiar with him? Lao Shu? I've heard the name. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he was a, a polyglot that uh, spoke, I don't know how many, like 20 something languages. He recently passed away. Uh, an American, uh, African American guy, and oh, yeah, he was just a, a, a giant in on the YouTube for the polyglot Wait, community. I just wanted to pay my respects to him. He just died like a week ago or Wait, two weeks not, ago. And what killed him? I think he had some heart issue or something. Fuck, he's but, so young. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he was able to speak so many different languages and just communicated all while never coming to China. He's never been to China before. And he hasn't been to many countries, I don't think. And he was able in America to just speak to random people in their native tongues. And, uh, you know, just a wonderful guy. So I just wanted to pay my respects to him. Um, other than yeah. that, That's other a- than that, I would say check out the book, Mastering Mandarin. I actually put it up for expats on air. I put it up as a promotional price. It's 99 cents for the oh. next 24 hours. Wait, is that yeah. like a code? Yeah, no, you don't need a, you don't need a code. It's just if you go to Amazon.com, type in Mastering Mandarin, and you get it within the next twenty four hours, it'll show up as ninety nine cents. It Wait should be starting second. any any hour now. So, okay, yeah, well, you can pick yourself up a copy yet. for ninety nine cents, and it'll be the best ninety nine cents that you've ever spent. And uh, hell yeah, you know, I, I, I think it, I hope think it, about yeah. the show so far. I'm probably gonna upload this like a day or two after we recorded. So if you're listening, I right could now, change the promotional price. Um, yeah. By the time you're listening, it's probably going to be updated because I got the website pulled up now. If you're watching the video version, that is, if you have the audio version, check out mastering Mandarin on Amazon by Lawrence E. Feldman. 
Don't fuck around. Yes, if you want to learn Chinese, stop being a lazy bitch relying oh, no. on your Chinese girlfriend like a fucking schmuck. Learn Chinese like a fucking man. Come on. Or if you're a woman, learn Chinese like a fucking woman. Come on. What are you? What are you like? Uh, what are you gonna rely on your boyfriend for that? Like a little fucking wimp? Come on. Learn Chinese and learn the technique to learn Chinese. Mastering Mandarin, because I tell you what, as a guy who learned Chinese, there are strategies involved with learning this language. This is this is this is not French. This is not Spanish. This isn't have like little similarities in your languages. No, this is so foreign. You got to get in there and you got to learn the pinyin. You got to learn the Chinese characters. You got to learn the tones. You got to learn all this stuff simultaneously. And you're going to rock if you take it seriously. It's not that hard because once you get beyond that barrier, once you get beyond that Chinese character barrier, once you get beyond that tone barrier, the grammar is so simple. It's not that hard. Yep. Lawrence, can you speak to that? That's can true. you speak to Chinese grammar yes. being simple? Much, much more simple than much more simpler than English grammar. That's for sure. Chinese grammar, really simple. Absolutely. And, you know, my book, what it is, is it shows you it's not going to teach you how to be, it's not going to make you fluent by reading it. You're not going to read this book and become fluent. No book can possibly do that. Nothing. Um, nothing you read can do that with one book. What this is going to do is it's going to say, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to look at this, act, uh, uh, this aspect, download these apps. This is how you should manage your time. These are the types of levels you should be learning. Um, and it takes you as like a roadmap to show you how you should study. And not, you know, you, could, you don't have to take everything from the book. You could take some things and leave out others, but it just shows you a roadmap for it. Hey, if you do these things and you treat studying Chinese like you treat water, like I need to have water, you know, or I'm going to die. If you treat it with that kind of passion and you follow these steps, you will absolutely be fluent in a very short time. It's not going to take one month or two months or three months in any kind of book that's saying oh fluent in you know three months or six months is i mean it's it's complete that's garbage but chinese is it, an it's, investment it's, and it's worth it trust me it's a 99 cent investment and uh, i just hope it you know of the 99 cents i think my cut will be like i don't know 20 cents from you buying the book of this i don't care about that you know I'm not, i didn't write this book to make money i wrote this book because i want to help people and so if this book helps you in any way and turns you into somebody that's passionate about Chinese language and Chinese culture, then that's all, th those are all the dividends I need. Yeah. So I encourage you check it out. And if you have any questions, feel free, reach out to me, check me out on my website. If you have any questions, you can email me and I'd be happy to help you on your journey, your language journey. Yeah. yeah. And dude, I've been plugging the hell out of your book and I've not read it and I'm definitely going to buy it. I'm definitely going to read it because this topic, I just think like the, the framing of your book is so important. There is a strategy with learning Chinese and you really need to think about it because you're, you're investing your time into this and you can do it a lot more efficiently if you do it right. And I think your book is, is something that can offer that path. And this is like something- Time is I'm valuable. Gonna, time is valuable. You know, I'm going to make my son read your book when he's a teenager. And even if the WeChat oh. thing, you, you nice. mentioned there's a WeChat chapter, that might be outdated by then. I don't care. I'm going to make him learn it. I'm going to make him understand my life in China at the same time. But anyways, I'm digressing. Dude, if you are learning Chinese, if this is something that's important to you, 
get into the frame of mind of what you need to learn and when and how to do it right. And Lawrence has got your back on this. And you're not making much money from the promotion. And I will put all this stuff in the description. So if you're listening, if you're watching, check out the description. All the info's there. Right on. All right, Lawrence, I'm going to go to this screen right here, the thanks for watching screen. You don't have to hang up, but I'm going to stop recording. I just want to say to everybody, thanks for watching. 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 This is me. This is me <laughs> with my, my own voice in the headphones, and it's totally fucking up my thought process. I don't know if I said that right. Maybe. <laughs> uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.